week on Perspective. The excruciating politics of Brexit. Britons are preparing themselves for a march off the Brexit cliff. Deal or no deal? No matter that leaders of the European Union have now offered up an extension. That extension requires the British Parliament to make another historic decision on the withdrawal agreement this coming week. It's been almost three years since Britons voted to leave the European Union, and ever since, the debate about Brexit has become increasingly rancorous. A debate that has drawn even deeper divisions among the British people, damaged friendships, split families, and slowed the economy. So who is downright reckless here, Mr. Speaker? The Prime Minister ploughing on with an unachievable, unsupported deal. The British government, once regarded as well-run, pragmatic, a diplomatic world leader, is now seen as incoherent, chaotic, playing a dangerous game of political brinksmanship. This House has indulged itself on Europe for too long. Uh, uh, order! 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 There's a, a lot of very noisy barracking. What the Prime Minister is saying must be heard. It's time for this House to determine that it will deliver on Brexit for the British people. That's what the British people deserve. They deserve better than this House has given them so far. It was a desperate and battered Prime Minister who went back to the European Union to ask for a reprieve. An extension is but a short reprieve. The turmoil and uncertainty remain. On the programme this week, a look at the political chaos in Britain. We'll get some perspective from the demonstrations in the streets of London this weekend. We'll look ahead at what to watch for in the coming days. But we begin in Brussels with the details of the EU's decision to extend the Brexit deadline. David Herzenhorn is the chief Brussels correspondent for Political Europe. The European Union leadership has talked about how much patience this process has required. To the extent that you can, take us inside that room where they were debating what to do. What was the atmosphere like? Well, there were times when it got heated. It wasn't very acrimonious, but they really had to figure out how hard to push back on the UK in the face of what's been persistent and continuing uncertainty uh, for the last two years, essentially. Uh, the UK is clearly not ready to leave the European Union. Theresa May hasn't been able to cobble together a majority in the British Parliament for the deal that she reached with the European Union back in November. And so the question uh, for some of them was how much more patience to have, uh, some taking a harder line, like French President Emmanuel Macron, saying that there may come a moment when the EU just has to push, has to accept that there may be a disorderly no-deal Brexit, what's uh, known as going over the cliff edge. Uh, but others, uh, much more uh, prudent, like Angela Merkel, whose uh, tolerance for risk seems to be substantially lower, kind of reprimanding those folks, saying, look, there's no need for that. It's the worst possible outcome. Uh, there are some objective reasons to believe she's right. I mean, for the, from the EU's perspective, strategic patience pays clear and, uh, and convincing dividends to the tune of 10 to 12 billion euro per year into its budget, as long as this process goes on. So even if a no-deal scenario were to come about, uh, down the line, a no-deal scenario later rather than sooner seems to have benefits. There's some arguments that that creates a lot of uh, confusion and decision that the UK could be a troublemaker going forward. But overall, the tendency seems to be away from any kind of risk of a catastrophic uh, no-deal scenario and waiting this out. They've set this now, what I'm calling a two-date solution, 
where she has one last chance to save her deal and save her job, essentially trying to get this withdrawal agreement through the House of Commons, uh, maybe with one or more uh, additional votes. And then if she's able to do that, she'll have until May 22nd to finish up the details. If she fails to do that, then the UK as a whole has until April 12th to figure out what it wants to do and come back to the EU leaders to tell them, you know, do they want a longer extension of months, perhaps uh, more than a year, to really uh, give time for a national election, maybe even a second referendum. But they are the ones who have to come back and tell the EU, here's what they want, here's uh, what they're thinking. Uh, because so far, the EU leaders have not been able to get clarity from Theresa May on that. Uh, how do they view Theresa May, given how long this has taken and the kind of difficulty that, that's there? Um, you know, there is some sympathy for Theresa May, but that sympathy has dissipated over the months. I mean, initially, they were uh, standing by her, trying to work with her, uh, viewing her as their best possible partner in uh, arranging an orderly exit of the UK from the EU. At this point, her credibility is shot. I mean, she's had to go back on so many different things that she said or promised, uh, from when the first uh, vote would take place in the UK Parliament on the deal, postponing that after saying uh, for weeks that it would go yeah. forward. Uh, the biggest one now being that the UK would leave on time on March 29th. We know that's not the case. That March 29th deadline has now been scrapped at her request. Uh, she asked the EU leaders for June 30th. They said no way to that. She wasn't able to give them a good explanation for why they should push it out that far. Uh, why they should risk uh, the, the potential complications it would create for the EU elections set to take place in May. So when it comes to Theresa May, there is just no confidence that she's still got control over the political situation in her country, that she has any ability to muster a majority in the House of Commons. They asked her this repeatedly. You know, what will she do differently to get this withdrawal agreement through after it has been rejected twice before? She didn't have a clear answer for that. You know, it, it's interesting because on there has been also a suggestion that, in fact, she was prepared to walk into that meeting and accept a no-deal outcome, but perhaps with the idea in her mind politically that the EU would wear it. You know, this is really astonishing because, in fact, the one thing that the House of Commons has had a majority in support of is ruling out the no-deal scenario. So in keeping that option open, she was essentially defying her own parliament. Now, that's not legally binding, but the parliament position was clear. They do not want to see a no-deal scenario. The EU obviously doesn't want to see that, and they don't believe, actually, that she means that, that she in any way wants to see a no-deal outcome. She was obviously trying to maintain some leverage in these discussions to come in looking tough and talking tough. I think for some of the EU leaders, it made her seem a bit unhinged and more unreliable, because they know this is not, in fact, what she's seeking. I mean, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, her own top economic advisors, have warned about the potentially catastrophic effects. The EU is confident that it would be disastrous for everyone. The EU would not be immune to the economic impact of a no-deal Brexit, especially countries that are closer into the UK that have the, um, increased economic ties, France, the Netherlands, Denmark. But they're sure, very confident, that the UK will hurt more. And so in that sense, there's not a lot of fear on their part that the UK would want a no-deal outcome. There is a lot of fear that political circumstances could unfold in an unpredictable way, so that in effect you have an inadvertent uh, no-deal outcome. But right now they've been able to agree on postponing the date. She accepted that deal. It gives her this new window until at least April 12th to put a plan together. And if not, they're hoping the UK will come back with another request. David, thank you very much for this. Sure. Great to be with you. 
We're going to take you now to the streets of London and the protests there this weekend. Here's freelance journalist Cindy Palm. The signs and the floats may have provided a bit of light relief, but the anti-Brexit protest was anything but comical. Open the borders, get on the fences. They're drumming up pressure for a second vote. No divorce is simple, and we really need to put this back to the people because the politicians in Westminster are completely stuck. It's a traffic jam. I really feel betrayed by the nation. I do not recognize the nation when I moved 25 years ago. Hundreds of thousands of people from across the UK converged on London, demanding another chance to have their say over the direction of their country. Bollocks to Brexit, bollocks to May, bollocks to Corbyn. We're here to stay. They're calling it the Put It to the People March, and it comes after the EU agreed to delay Brexit by a couple of weeks. What I've noticed here is that there are a lot of young people, many of whom would not have been of age to vote in 2016, but can today. These students from the University of Kent are one of many groups that traveled here by coach. Yeah, I kind of feel like I was robbed a bit. Um, that this is sort, especially because I like I go to what is known as the European University of England of the UK, and I wasn't able to vote on something that was actually quite important. And then also, if I wanted to study abroad or do further things abroad, everything else would then be impacted. <laughs> what do you want? Our future back. When do we want it? Even those who are still too young to vote came out, wanting their voice to be heard. Beatrice, how old are you? I'm 14. So you can't vote, no. still. And so why are you here today? Uh, because it's my future, and I think we need to protect it. Meanwhile, there are calls in the crowd for Brexit to be cancelled altogether by revoking Article 50. This petition, created in late February on the UK government petition website, has garnered over 4 million signatures. It even caused the site to crash at one point. As they sang songs and waved the EU flag, people here say the only way forward is to go back to the beginning. Um, there was a referendum that took us into this. It takes a referendum to get it out of us. Cindy Palm for CPAC in London. Prime Minister Theresa May is the target of some strong editorials in British newspapers. Here's a sample. The Guardian declared May has gone rogue. Her crass handling of the situation has revived the peril of no deal when MPs have three times declared it unacceptable. A chaotic Brexit is not the only alternative to the current deal, although Mrs. May insists the choice is binary. The Independent claims May has completely lost touch with reality. The Commons is paralyzed and the Prime Minister is attempting, clumsily, to set people against Parliament. From such a clutch of constitutional crises, there is one simple answer put her deal to the people. The Financial Times has this to say, David Cameron was the worst prime minister in British history, but Theresa May risks becoming a rival for this status. True leaders do not behave this way. If the result is no deal, Mrs. May could not be forgiven. A perspective now from a longtime observer of British public opinion and politics. Peter Kellner is the former president of the polling firm YouGov. He's now a visiting scholar with Carnegie Europe. We spoke on Thursday, just as Theresa May was meeting with EU leaders in Brussels. 
First, how is the chaos and disarray in the British Parliament reflected in public opinion? Public opinion is increasingly polarised on Brexit. This is unusual. Britain, I've been doing polls and reporting polls for 40 years, and usually the British public are pretty... Well, they want a consensus. They don't mind compromise. They're pragmatic. But on Brexit, increasingly, there are two British tribes, the pro-Brexit tribe and the anti-Brexit tribe, and not many people in between favour a compromise position. When you talk about compromise, though, and, and you talk about that polarisation, is it about remain and leave, or is there something in the middle as well? It is principally remain versus leave. So when you look at attitudes to the Prime Minister's withdrawal agreement or some of the other proposals for a slightly softer Brexit, very few people support them because remain voters... Uh, don't see the point in having a compromise whereby Britain signs up to a lot of European rules without having any say in them. And Leave voters, on the whole, think a compromise isn't a real Brexit because Britain wouldn't take back controls, use the phrase that we used in the referendum three years ago. So people on neither side of the debate are particularly happy with what Theresa May has been doing or with what some of the other people looking for some other compromise outcome are doing. Hmm. Uh, someone commented that everybody feels like losers here. At the moment, it, it, it's heading in a very nervy way towards some climactic drama next week because the formal position is that the, the, the British Parliament has passed a law which says unless something else happens, Britain will leave the European Union uh, on Friday night next week, um, regardless of whether there's a deal or not. And a lot of people, especially in the business world, are terrified by this prospect. Just in the last hour or two, um, there has been a joint uh, letter from the uh, Confederation of British Industry, the Employers' Pressure Group, and the Trades Union Congress, the, the Trades Union Group. These two are normally at fighting each other, but they've come together to write a joint letter saying, whatever happens, we mustn't leave the European Union without a deal because it would be catastrophic for jobs, for investments and for living standards. But unless Parliament agrees to do something else, that is where we are heading. Hmm. At the same time, and, and we're speaking as the Prime Minister is in Brussels trying to negotiate some kind of extension, um, in an editorial this week, The Guardian also said that Theresa May is essentially playing a game that she's already lost. Do you agree? Yes, I do. Um, until, I don't know, 48 hours ago, I thought the chances were that Theresa May would remain Prime Minister till at least later this year, possibly early next year, and that she would gracefully step down as Prime Minister after the Brexit drama had been concluded. But the way events have unfolded this week, and including the very misjudged television statement she made last night, which has produced a, a dreadful reaction against her from both Remain and Leave MPs, I think there's now a real possibility that she won't survive till the end of next week. Next week is going to be one of those big dramas of British politics, which historians will be poring over for decades to come. Um, it, normally, big dramas um, come into perspective six months or a year later and don't seem nearly as important as they did at the time. This is not one of those things. This really is big stuff. 
Um, Jeremy Corbyn was also in Brussels uh, talking to EU leaders as well, and he's, he's talking about, you know, perhaps putting together some kind of compromise. He's, um, is there some other way to achieve a compromise other than through the prime minister's office? Here's, here's the problem. There are, let's just say, somewhere between 200 and 250 MPs who uh, would be happy with a so-called soft Brexit, where the economic relationships with the European Union don't change very much. We have a customs union deal of some sort, a single market deal of, of some sort. Um, and there's another, there's a couple of hundred or so who would like a new referendum. The trouble is there's very little overlap between these two groups. Most MPs who want a new referendum think uh, a soft Brexit is pointless. Most of those who want a soft Brexit uh, think that a referendum would be a betrayal of the referendum three years ago. So although there's a large majority of MPs in Westminster who don't like the withdrawal agreements and would like, and, and certainly don't want no deal, would like a closer relationship, a much closer relationship with the European Union than, than the Prime Minister is proposing, they, they have two very different um, strategies for getting there. And as long as they remain divided, there won't be a majority in Parliament, 650 MPs overall, there won't be a majority for any one course of action. So I think a lot of the debate of the next few days is going to be whether those two clumps of MPs who want a close deal with Europe, whether they can somehow find a way to come together. It's by no means certain that they can. Some have suggested that the way perhaps to, to get to some kind of answer on this is just to withdraw and start all over again. Is that realistic? Well, one of the things that's been talked about, well, been talked about all the time, but talked about rather more loudly by more people this week, is that Britain does have the legal right any time before Friday night next week to simply tell the European Union we're revoking our application to leave the EU. This doesn't need uh, the approval of the rest of the EU. We just say we're carrying on. And the proposition is that if it gets to um, Wednesday or Thursday next week and Parliament is deadlocked, perhaps one way out is to revoke our Article 50 application to leave the EU, take a few weeks or months off, and if we still want to start the leave process, restart it uh, uh, again. Um, at the moment, I wouldn't say that's a very probable outcome. But, Alison, you know, the, 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 there are perhaps five or six possibilities for the way things will work out this time next week. And at the moment, I wouldn't say any of them is a probable um, outcome. So something not very probable is bound to happen. Um, what that is, I really don't know. I know you've been watching politics and, as you point out, public opinion for, for decades now. Talk to me a little bit about the longer-term impact you see on British politics and how British citizens view their political system. I think we're going through a, a dangerous time, and whatever the outcome of the Brexit process, we're going to be living with a fallout from this for 5, 10, maybe 20 years. The problem about Brexit is not that it has created social divisions in Britain, um, but it has highlighted them and, and it has caused them to intensify. Let me explain what I mean. There has for a long time been a whole raft of British people who are outward-going, internationalist in outlook, they're reasonably relaxed about immigration, they like overseas aid, um, and being pro-European Union is part of that package. And there's been another 
large bloc of public which is less outward-looking, less keen on immigration, doesn't like overseas aid, uh, would, would really, in a sense, rather like a, a, a moat round the British Isles to have the drawbridge pulled up and then they'd go and hide under a blanket and hope the rest of the world goes away. Now, uh, those two sentiments, those two forces have always been there. Um, but uh, they've now found a vehicle to, for expression and therefore the antagonisms between the two groups are, are, are much more intense. And trying to put together British society in some sort of consensual way is going to be a really, really tough job. And I think it'll take many years. I thank you very much for your expertise and your insight on this. Alison, you're very welcome. Prime Minister Theresa May has some editorial support from British newspapers. Here's a sample. From the Daily Mail. The Mail is the first to admit Mrs May's Brexit deal is not flawless, but there are overwhelming positives. It was a sensible deal that stood the best chance of repairing a nation fractured by Brexit, honoured the referendum result and ensures that our departure will be orderly and amicable. The Daily Express says, she seemed genuinely apologetic to the people of Britain for the mess that we have witnessed in the last two years, and she offered great personal regret. She has acknowledged that we have had enough, but even as she spoke, she still came over as resolute, determined to get her withdrawal deal over the line. In spite of the tumult and uncertainty around British politics, we're going to try and look ahead now at what to look for in the days ahead. Jim Pickard is chief political correspondent for the Financial Times. It's hard to imagine how a withdrawal agreement that's been rejected twice before would be approved this time round. What are the more likely scenarios looking at the week ahead here? So the problem that the Prime Minister has, Theresa May, is that she's been doing a game of chicken for the last few months against two political enemies. On the one side, she's got the people who want a much harder Brexit. They want to leave with no deal. And on the other side of the equation, she's got people, primarily members of the opposition Labour Party, who are terrified of leaving without any deal at all, what's called a hard Brexit, um, with no agreement whatsoever with the EU. And she's been trying to threaten the people who want a hard Brexit with no Brexit, and she's been trying to threaten the people who are worried about no deal with no deal. And what has happened so far is that every time she moves in one direction, then it reassures the other side that they don't need to vote for her. And when she moves back the other way, then the other people feel liberated to vote down her deal as well. So the problem we've got going into the vote next week, which people are expecting probably on Tuesday, although it hasn't yet been nailed down, is that she still doesn't have the numbers. She was defeated, remember, by 250 votes in January. She was defeated again by 149 votes only last week. And we haven't seen enough of a shift in her direction. If anything, we're starting to see some Conservative MPs from her party actually moving away from the deal, which is the last thing she needs right now. So are there possible amendments that would go forward? I mean, what, what's the other alternative besides walking off the cliff here? So what, we've, what we're seeing at the moment is an attempt by the House of Commons to seize control of the process from the government. And Several MPs have tried before to do this. It looks like it's more likely to happen next week where these MPs are seeking to do something called indicative votes, whereby 
it would be an opportunity to put half a dozen different options in front of the House of Commons and see if there is a majority for any one way forward. Now, we know that there's majorities against all sorts of different options, but what is the one thing that could possibly be more popular than the Theresa May deal? Now, the government has indicated that they will do some form of indicative votes next week, but there's a lot of negotiation going on at the moment about how that might work and when it could happen. And most importantly, if they do vote for some alternative than the May deal, will Theresa May accept that as government policy? Not necessarily. Hmm. Uh, what does all of this mean for Theresa May? Will she last the week, do you think? The first thing to say is that she's never been a hugely popular prime minister, even in her own party. When she became leader over two years ago, it was primarily because of what she wasn't. She wasn't a hardcore Brexiteer. She wasn't a hardcore Remainer. And her support was quite wide, but it was always very shallow. She's not someone who has huge personal charisma or magnetism that brings loads of politicians behind her. And she doesn't have a kind of Praetorian guard of MPs. Now, the chatter in Westminster this week is incredibly hostile. MPs have said to her face that she probably needs to go pretty soon. MPs have been saying to the whips who control party discipline that she might have to promise her own departure as a condition for people voting for uh, her deal. And she has rarely looked more unpopular. But the only thing to say is that they did try and uh, pull off a coup last December and fail. And under the formal procedures of the Conservative Party, they can't have another go at that until next December because they have to wait for a year. And I've been covering the British Parliament for long enough to know that even if loads of your colleagues want to take you out, it doesn't necessarily mean that your career as Prime Minister is over. <laughs> and I remember Gordon Brown, the previous Labour Prime Minister, in I think around 2009, where you had um, loads of cabinet ministers resigning, loads of ministers resigning, people begging him to leave, and he just dug in and said, no, I'm not going anywhere. And in theory, Theresa May could just carry on regardless for quite a while. You know, I, I know it's sometimes unfair to ask political reporters if they are if they are betters, but uh, are you prepared to sort of speculate about whether or not, in fact, Britain is walking off this Brexit cliff? I think if we've learned one thing covering British politics in recent years, it's that predictions, especially <laughs> bets, are a very risky thing to do. All we can do is guide people as to what the prevailing wind is on any one day. And all I would say at the moment is that no deal Brexit, which a few months ago looked incredibly unlikely, is now looking much more of a potential prospect. I've been talking to a lot of business groups today who say that their members are really worried about this, especially manufacturers who have just-in-time delivery chains with European countries, where if you introduce checks at the border or customs declaration or any kind of delay, it totally damages that model. And they are terrified of leaving with no deal at all. But a lot of Conservative MPs see a no-deal Brexit as what they would call a clean Brexit, or they sort of see in it the kind of seeds of Britain's freedom from the European uh, bureaucracy. And uh, you, know, you were asking about predictions. I think at the moment the central view is that Brexit will be delayed by quite a while, possibly for up to a year. But do not discount the possibility of a very disruptive no-deal. We'll be watching. Thank you very much for your insight on this. Thanks a lot. Cheers.
The Trades Union Congress and the Confederation of British Industry have sent a joint statement to Prime Minister Theresa May, asking her to change her Brexit approach. Our country is facing a national emergency. Firms and communities across the UK are not ready for this outcome. The shock to our economy would be felt by generations to come. The current deal or no deal must not be the only choice. A plan B must be found. The Financial Times quotes the acting head of the Institute of Directors, Edwin Morgan, saying his members are fed up. They feel like they are watching multiple slow-motion car crashes again and again. Stephen Phipson of the manufacturer's organization Make UK said, We are moving from farce to tragedy. The only thing likely to worsen the current picture is leaving the EU without a deal. Delay for delay's sake will simply make an appalling situation worse. And that's our program for this week. If you'd like to take another look at any of the interviews in the program or at any of our previous programs, they're all available on our webpage at cpac.ca slash perspective. And now you can also take the program with you. All of our programs are available as a podcast. You can find links to where to listen on our webpage. And we'd like to hear from you. Here's a perspective on our program last week on India and Pakistan. Dragan Mohan tweeted, one should never lose the sight of Pakistan's nuclear proliferation. Fixation on India-Pakistan hyphenated relationship is dangerous. The real, present and viable danger is the risk of Pakistani nukes coming under the control of elements that hate the West or Israel more than India. If you'd like to comment on anything you see or hear, you can reach us on Twitter and Facebook or by email at perspective at cpac.ca. I'm Allison Smith. Thanks for watching.